and welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast that analyzes and makes fun of all your favorite horror movies. This week, we're talking about Eve's Bayou, directed by Casey Lemons and starring Samuel L. Jackson and Journey Smollett. If you haven't seen this movie yet, you definitely should, and it's streaming on Amazon Prime now. Uh, because we will definitely spoil it for you. Also, it's really fun. So mm. go watch it if you haven't already. Pause it. We'll be here when you get back. And by we, I mean we are your hosts. I am Mary Kay. I'm Mary. I'm Rachel. While we have you at the top, let's do a little bit of self, of uh, shameless self-promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a frequent listener of the show and you want to help support the show, we have some merchandise. It is very cool. It all features our logo, which is a cigar-smoking Venus flytrap, drinking a glass of red wine. So, mm-hmm. um, While wearing you can find a, that. a particularly bold red lip. Yes, boss lady and or F-bomb. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Those are our preferred um, styles. <laughs> and you can find the link to our merchandise through our show notes. I have also written a book, which you can find the link to in our show notes. It's called America's First Female Serial Killer. And speaking of books, we have a bookshop affiliate page. So whenever we mention something, image in a book in the show, we link to it there. So if you want to find it, you don't have to wreck your car trying to take notes. We have taken the notes for you, and you can buy them through Bookshop, which also supports your local independent bookstore of your choice. And, of course, there is always the old tried-and-true method of rate, review, and subscribe. All of this is very much appreciated by us. Tell two friends. So in the beginning of this movie... Eve, played by Journey Smollett, plays a trick on Poe in the beginning. Who was played uh, by her actual him... brother. Yeah, that's why they're so cute in the same way. They're so cute. Yeah. In the beginning, she makes him eat chocolate-covered bees. And he's like, it's delicious. And she's like, it's bees. Um, What's the best prank that y'all ever played as a kid? So I never... I never did any pranks as a kid. The closest I ever got to, I had to think real long and hard. I've been pranked and everything. And I finally remember a time when we had a St. Bernard and we went, my mom went through this phase of make, like baking her own dog treat cookies. (laughs) And they would look like, you know, act, and she would like, you know, style them out into like little animals and shit. And I, had this great idea because people who kids that lived in Wisconsin treated us like shit like it was bad so I was thinking you know what I'm gonna do to get back at all these mean kids I'm gonna bring these cookies to school and I had this like mastermind (laughs) and I never went through with it I even brought them to school and I just couldn't do it oh you're too sweet you are sweet. What about you, Mary? Mm. I wasn't really a prankster either. I, I was I was I was the oldest of three, so I didn't feel the need to like Yeah, you, know, you know, jerk their chains. You know, I was I was I knew I was in charge. <laughs> okay. Also because my brother was like a very like sweet, like just wants to like please everyone kind of kid. So like it wasn't it wasn't that much fun to prank him you know he didn't like pull one on him like he was so like trusting in the first place that it 
It took nothing. Like, anything I said, he believed. And my sister was like a demon spawn. Like, you didn't want to try and trick her because if you succeeded, when you were like, haha, I got you, she would bite you until she broke the skin and then run off screaming. So that wasn't fun. But I did one time, the closest I think I ever got, and it wasn't even a, a prank because I like meant it. It just, I, I handled it that way. In Girl Scouts, we were having a discussion about like what charity kind of event to do. Mm-hmm. And half the girls wanted to go volunteer at a nursing home and half the girls wanted to volunteer at like a, like a shelter. And the logic was like, we're all going to be old one day, God willing. We all could be homeless one day. Like, you know, this is good, like a good empathy exercise. And I was like, I want to go to the animal shelter. And I made this whole impassioned speech about the conditions at the animal shelter when we went to adopt our, our cat. And like how grim they were and how sad these poor animals were and how it was so heartbreaking and everyone was crying and they were like, you're right. This is what we should do. We're all going to go to the animal shelter. And I never went back to Girl Scouts. (laughs) That was it. That's all I needed to do there. And that's about as close as I think I got to pranking. Cause that's the thing. Like I like what a prank, right? I convinced a bunch of Girl Scouts to volunteer at an animal shelter, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's definitely a case where I like wielded power that I knew I had to get the result I wanted, even if I had no intention mm-hmm. of follow Sarah there. So that's as close as Mary the child got to pranking, I think. I farted in my mom's Tupperware. <laughs> oh, no. Does that work? Yes. No. They're airtight. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. Real Tupperware, not the not the takeout kind. We had a long conversation very recently on this show about how utterly repulsive you find farting and how you refuse to do it. Yeah. My mom used to fart around me all the time and it was so repulsive and disgusting that I got mad at her and farted in her Tupperware and then just put it back in the cabinet. So how do you know that it worked? Because I told her about it later, and she go and she was like, "I remember that. I remember I did not use that Tupperware because it smelled like eggs." Okay, <laughs> amazing. Well, I was an only child, so I didn't have any, you know, other children to prank. I mean, I had a ton of cousins around, but kind of like you said, I was the eldest, so like, yeah. I already had power over them. Um, I mean, not always, but not always the eldest always power though but yeah I think that was my best one I used to prank her a lot because I just okay so as much as I want to identify with Eve in this movie kind of I definitely I mean minus the sexual assault I'm, I'm definitely more Sicily like I was always misquoting some Shakespeare to my little cousins try like getting mad at my mom for no reason obsessed with my dad for no reason like just tracks all the way (laughs) trying to get my hair straight in for no reason (laughs) that was fashionable when we were that age like you wanted your hair to be plastered to your skull yeah i mean i didn't actually do it because i did it a couple times and i was like this is so much work (laughs) just it was so much work couldn't be asked i either wore it up or i wore it curly whatever yeah yeah but it was fashionable at the time yeah 
So this uh, prophecy situation is the exact reason why I do not get my fortune told. Because you're gonna lock you're gonna lock your children in the house for a year. Because we all we all just ha- we had to do that anyway this past year. Yeah, well, that's true. Or like an an old lady with her face painted is gonna tell me that I'm cursed and whoever I love is gonna die just like the one before. I feel like everyone in the movie was aware of that pattern before the prophecy happened. Like, I know. I was thinking, like, how come Harry didn't, like, why wasn't he like, hmm, I don't know about her. She's nice, but my my grandmother went to Bible study with my moms when we were living in uh, in Spain. So she was getting to know the ladies there, and one of them was asking if she was married. And she said, well, you know, I, I was married to, you know, Steve's father, you know, obviously, but he, he passed when he was very young. I, I met my husband, Francis, and we were together for many years, but he passed about five years ago. And the woman, without missing a beat, said, oh, Mary, why do you keep killing your husbands? And she thought that was the funniest thing she'd ever heard in her life. And I have... Still wow. never gotten over just the the absolute brass ovaries it takes. Yeah. To like read the room and know you're going for that joke. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that she committed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't come back from that one. <laughs> yeah. No. Fortunately my grandmother thought it was hilarious. Also, her name was Mary, hence yeah, I wasn't weirdly inserting myself in the story. We just had the same name. Right, no, I know. But the the witchcraft that we see in this movie is less less voodoo and more just visions. Yeah, it seemed like it was more they had like a, a, like a touch of clairvoyance, like yeah. they could see things, and because of that, um, well, could oh I don't remember her name, the one you talked about who painted her face. I'll pull up names while while you while you continue. So Diane Carroll is the actress name because my mom got real excited. <laughs> I watched this with my mom, by the way. <laughs> so could she see visions? I don't remember her being able to see visions. I thought it was just I don't know. Well, I don't think we don't we see a lot from the perspective of the individual members of Eve's family. Okay, you know, and I do feel like we kind of shift some in that, but I don't know that we ever get her perspective. So maybe she actually does have some kind of power. And certainly she says, like, I did the magic for your dad to die. And then dad dies. So it definitely does seem like there's a distinction, though, Rachel, like you said, because she reads the bones. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the point I was trying to say is that I think that like you said that people or Mary you said earlier that people know about this curse they know there's something going on with her and that mm-hmm. she does see things this clairvoyance mm-hmm. but then as sort of a hustle i think that she kind of promotes it as it being more like with the voodoo and with the woman who came desperate and she told her do this and then later she admitted she goes well, she was desperate and she goes, well, what if, Eve says, well, what if it doesn't work? And she shrugs and says, I don't think she'll sue me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, the, I, 
you're you are absolutely right in that kind of contradiction between the way that Moselle and the way that Eldora, right? El Elzora, excuse me. They both have Z's in their name. Moselle and Elzora kind of enact their their magical um, abilities. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about how every single conversation that happens between an adult and a child in this movie is wildly inappropriate. Every single one. <laughs> like, like, they have no like filter when it comes to talking to children like Moselle goes into she's like tell me about Hosea and Moselle is like oh my whole body was on fire just like immediately (laughs) it's like damn lady put a lid on it and she's like oh I forgot you were there girl it's like (laughs) obviously yeah so I'm 10 (laughs) this kind of leads us to an anecdote about everything trying to kill you the podcast from this past week yes all right so um this past week one of my best friends uh, has a son who was five when I met him. He is now middle school aged. And apparently on the way home from a ski trip they took this weekend, they were listening to podcasts and she has like a little podcast playlist. So our most recent episode popped up. And as she went whoop and went to change it, my nephew, you know, with the air quotes, right? recognized my voice because it was the episode we just did about Ganja and Hess, so I'm the first one to speak. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh my God, is that Mary? And she said, well, yes, but you know, I, we don't need to listen to that. And he said, no, it's so cool that she has a podcast. Let's listen to it. No! So for those of you <laughs> who either skipped that episode or don't remember, that episode begins with a roughly 10-minute exploration of the relative merits and intimacy of cooking for a new partner or having anal sex with a new partner. <laughs> like, we go into this at length. Not at length. Not but we into talked about it, at it a lot. Right. Just yeah, bringing we... up anal sex. <laughs> yeah. Hey, kids. This is, this is anal not a... sex. This was we not, just, this was it not just a, kept coming up. Not a just the tip conversation. So, yeah. So she was like, okay, and let him listen. And as he's just like, the eyes are getting wider and wider. Like, oh my God, what are they saying? She was like, you wanted to listen. Did you ever think you would hear Mary say any of this? And then in a manner taught to him specifically by my ex and I, he went, nope. And she said she almost wrecked the car because she was laughing so hard. And apparently he found it very funny and he was, you know, he enjoyed the episode overall. They both enjoyed the episode overall. And, you know, he's he's a very well-adjusted young man. Like, it's not like he doesn't know these these things, you know, exist or anything. I, I don't know, he's got a much, much healthier capacity to handle adult information than I had at that age. I was very much of a like. Are you kidding? <laughs> like boys in middle school, they talk about nastier shit than I think. Like a yeah, like but they don't really like to, know. But, but to sit that's and true. listen to it in a car with your parent. Oh, that's like <laughs> comfy. So that's the thing. He like, I mean, sure, it wasn't probably it wasn't the most comfortable for him, but for her, it was mostly funny because again, she knows this isn't gonna like break his brain and scar him horribly. Like, yeah, she knows that they talk, they can talk honestly and openly about this stuff, and if it does bother him, also she knows he will say like, nope, turn it off. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so mostly they um, they had a good laugh at one another and at us, and 
um, now I can crawl into a hole and die, and I can never speak to him again. Even Which though... hole are you going to crawl in? Well, oh, boy. Front or the back, front or the back. Also, I told my buddies in D&D about this right before we had to make a decision about how we were going to like sneak into a museum. And the guy was like, there's a front entrance and a back entrance. And everyone just went... <laughs> so the whole thing then became this extended metaphorical gag about anal sex because I had just told them the story. Mm-hmm. And it was... It was a mess. It was all just a mess. <laughs> so, anyway, that's my two bits on um, inappropriate conversations with children. You should look to your children. Actually, don't let me look to your children. That's the lesson here. <laughs> anyone else do it. Truly. Um, but for, even though they're, like, inappropriate with the kids... They also uh, are inappropriate with the kids. And by that, I mean, like, actual child abuse. Oh, yes. So it happened, right? Can we all agree, like, it did happen? I am inclined to believe Cecily's version of events, or Cicely, not Cecily, those are different names. Cicely's version of events, because we already know for damn sure, Lewis will lie and and be dishonest. But she will, too. She'll lie for him. That's true. But I still just think that she... like I, it, So I know that lots of little girls are obsessed with their daddy, but there was something uncomfortable about that relationship from the jump, for me. Well, yeah, I mean, and again, this is one of those situations where, like, everyone kind of already knows, and it's not until they have to deal with it openly that it blows everything up. Like, yeah. Eve asks, why don't you dance with me? Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, so yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you that. That yeah. And then even awful. in the very be- like after the party scene, and he's explaining to Eve, trying to have a conversation with her after she saw him mm-hmm. with Maddie, and oh. Mm. And when they first, do, so I know back in the day, I know it's a period piece, and I know back in the day, kids used to kiss their parents on the mouths. Yeah, but I think I that think, still happens, right? Sure, like but little, what little I'm trying, ones. what I'm trying to say is that I think the director really did an awesome job in doing it in such a way where. It is normal for small children, but there was something about it in this scene that just, I was like, okay, that's weird. But okay, maybe it's like the olden days, but I, I just think that it was sort of setting us up for this. This ain't, this doesn't look yeah. normal. It's suspicious. Even if it's just taking advantage of our like contemporary sensibility about it, you know, even if like contextually, there actually isn't anything wrong. Knowing that f- for a contemporary audit audience, it might make us uncomfortable and like just like saying, yeah, I'm going to use every tool in my tool belt to like amp the creep factor mm-hmm. and make sure that you're really paying attention and you're you're really like kind of concerned and tracking. Um, yeah, this was a major breakout for Casey Lemons, the director. She wrote and directed this. She also appeared 
In Silence of the Lambs, she appeared in Candyman. What else has she directed? Uh, she's directed a handful of things recently that were quite uh, well appreciated. Uh, for example, a couple episodes of the uh, C.J. Walker story on Netflix, Self Made. Oh, cool. Yeah, she did a couple episodes that of that. She directed Harriet. Starring, that was very well done. Yeah, she directed Harriet, starring oh. Cynthia Erivo. Um, love Cynthia Erivo. A couple episodes of uh, Luke, or one episode of Luke Cage, which I absolutely loved. So yeah, she's she's I think she's a fantastic storyteller. But yeah, this was a big deal and it was an indie project and it had like no traction and then Roger Ebert watched it, reviewed it and loved it. He called it the best film of the year and that blew it all the way up. Thank God. You know, yeah. for the careers of any number of people involved in this Oh movie. my gosh, I felt like I knew like all of them. Like I also You've seen everyone and everything. <laughs> Yeah, my mom was watching it, and she was like, "The that's Allie McBeal. She's from Allie McBeal. Like, mm-hmm. the whole time, she was like, I know who these people are. Yeah. <laughs> and my other favorite hot take from my mom, actually, there was three, because, you know, when my mom is very vocal, and she just will say exactly what she is thinking at any moment, especially mm-hmm. with quarantine. Like, all of us have forgotten to talk to people, like, how to talk to people yep. in yeah, social situations. So, yep. um so we, you know, the opening credits, there's like the voiceover, when I killed my daddy, I was 10 years old. And it's like, instead of reacting to that, my mom goes, you know what I think of when I look at that? Mosquitoes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all the Spanish moss and it's I the know. swamp. Oh, man. Oh, I mean, man. that's accurate, though. Like, I love, I love that scenery that vegetation like it just it's gorgeous every time i see it i'm like why do i keep moving away from all of that ah, i could just move to louisiana i could just move back to georgia i could just like have this in my life all the time no. yeah but you could also be never dry ever you could also just be always a little swampy and sweaty how do you know i'm not i mean well then you might as well move back here okay see you are anyway. <laughs> I, I set myself up there. I see that. So. I see what I did there. Uh, yes. Okay. So we're in agreement then that Cicely is telling. I think so. The real, the real deal. Or can, can I, I think tell it you is? What I think it the... is true for her. Definitely. Like, I, I don't think that she is like making it up or or inventing so anything either. there. Um, so even if, like watched on like straight footage his his actions may not be as like exactly as she describes them i i don't think she's like imagining the event or or well right and then also when you look at um when eve told her what happened and she was you know what her what she said to be the truth and then somebody said well that's not what happened I think that kind of comes back in the end that we look at, well, is that just the same thing happening happening to Sicily? My favorite character in this movie is the grandma. From the jump, when she's like, if this girl does not get her behind out of my face, I'm going to her. <laughs> yes. I like the way the subtitles cut out there, too, where it was like, we understand. Like, we get the intent, <laughs> even if we do not speak yeah. real. Oh, man. Uh, but she does say of Moselle that when they're talking about how crazy she is at the dinner table and all the kids are like she's not crazy and Cicely's like yes she is crazy and grandma's like she might be crazy but her visions are true 
<laughs> like, they can both be true. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, Moselle has the best clothes I've ever mm-hmm. seen. She is so fly. And much, much deservedly, she got a lot of positive attention award nominations for this role. Um, shockingly, considering how well reviewed it was at the time, it actually didn't get any Oscar nominations. Hmm. But, um, but in that role, yeah. a lot of a lot of recognition, which I think is well deserved. I think it's just an outstanding performance and a really a really complicated character, and, and yet someone that I felt like I kind of like I got what was happening there, and I could really identify oh, yeah. with her um, so strongly, even if very few facts of our lives lined up. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that character because I, I de- she was not predictable, but everything she did, I just believed that character tr- would do. It tracked, yeah, like yeah, mm-hmm. um, like when she's telling um, Eve the story of her husband and how mm-hmm. she was going to leave him, and how they both get up and look at the mirror and it happening, and then she turns around. And walks into the reflection. How? Somehow. cool was that? It was so cool. I was like, oh, if I ever get to direct a movie, I want to be that kind of director. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) It was so subtle. And then I was like, wait, what's happening? What what now? (laughs) Um, But she's like narrating it and a character in it while it's happening, which I think is really interesting because that's also what's happening with our bigger frame story about how Eve is telling the story of when she was 10 years old. Also, while we're talking about agency, the, what is the woman's name, Diane Carroll's character? Elzora? uh, Elzora, yeah. Elzora. She asks Eve, are you sure you want to kill this person? No, she's not sure. She She is is 10. 10. Do you know how many people I wanted to kill when I was 10? Do you know why I wanted to kill them? I Me said, neither. I don't I know. It doesn't I, matter I to me now. I wanted to kill my brother, and that is clearly not a thing I actually wanted to But happen. that's exactly what um, Moselle did for that woman earlier on who was desperate f- to have something happen to, to help her situation. And she was just like, okay, like... Whatever. It was like the same thing. You know, here comes this child. Yeah, I'm definitely sure. Here's all this money to do that. And she's like, bet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're dumb enough to do this. I don't think that's at all what killed him. You don't? I do. No, I think just... that's So that's why I think when I wrote in the in the outline, the power of agency and special, like with children as individuals, I think people don't realize the power that they have just by relaying the information Eve mm-hmm. gives Lenny in that moment. Love that. I think so. Cause it was at one point where I wrote it in the outline. Talk about that was, that yeah, was, she's not the lonely type. That was and, some proper mean girl execution. Very impressive for a 10 year old. She goes back yeah. to the witch doctor and she's, you know, she was like, I wanted it. I wanted to do something. And she goes, mm-hmm. You did do something. And she's mm-hmm. talking about coming to her to do the, 
the spell or the curse. Mm. But in reality, we know as the audience, she did do something by going and giving yeah. that information to Lenny. And then Letty, that night, decides, I'm not going to stay at the university. I'm going to go and confront them. And then he warns, he warns him, if you speak to her again, I will kill you. And that all came from the information that this little girl gave. Yeah, which is so funny. You know, you say agency, and um, that's not necessarily the theme that, like, jumped out most to me, but it does dovetail, or not even dovetail, it's, like, very deeply enmeshed with the themes that were really, that really did uh, kind of, like, grab me immediately in that that's what she's asking for when she goes to Elzora is mm-hmm. not to actually have her father die. She wants... She wants to regain control of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, just a few months ago, her life was was easy. She felt that her choices mattered. She felt that, you know, it didn't. She didn't have this kind of spiraling, chaotic experience that she was that she's now mm-hmm. having, in which she realizes that the world is much bigger and uglier and messier than yeah. she'd like it to be. Um, so when she says, "But I wanted to do it for a second, I kind of gra- struggled with that. I was like, "Wait, you didn't say that. Wait, wait, what?" And then I, I kind of had to, mm-hmm. I kind of had to process for a second. And I was like, okay, I understand that what she's saying is, I thought you were gonna give when she was saying, I thought you were gonna give me a doll. Mm-hmm. She meant that when she walked out of there, she would have the ability to kill yeah. her dad. Not that, not that it would already be an action, but that she could decide when or if it happened. That she would have that kind of life or death power over someone whose choices were creating absolute misery in the lives of everyone else she loved but that's but that exactly and that's yeah that's the point i'm making is that without realizing she has that power she is wielding it right and that's that's the dramatic irony for us as the audience Mm -hmm. yeah it it was yeah and and you know the things that stood out to me here were memory and misinterpretation like the unreliability Mm. of our own perception or our own memories such that by the time that like we're having a whole discussion about like Cicely and Lewis like they actually relay the events almost exactly in the same way like the same pat like the same sequence of events it's such a subtle difference that mm-hmm. means absolutely everything. Who leaned yeah. in? They they kissed twice. The first one, they each agree was an appropriate, like, father, daughter, I love you, this is sweet kiss. The, diff, the entire difference hinges on who leaned in harder on the second kiss, fundamentally, right? I just don't think that, like, it doesn't matter who did it, it's wrong, and it it's is. his fault. It is because he's, the, he's adult. the adult and he needs to be the one to handle that. And but so much of the pain and suffering in the family is about the fact that we have different interpretations of this event. Mm-hmm. If we believe that Lewis mm-hmm. actually interpreted the event, the event this way, even if he didn't different interpretations of the same event. And the fact that once you've gotten even five minutes away from the event, your memory of it can it be trusted look how quickly we see alongside eve that lewis is up in the was a carriage house mm-hmm. with ms moreau mrs excuse mm-hmm. me moreau we see it too we know it happened and mm-hmm. five minutes later cicely is like it didn't and eve is like okay you're right <laughs> 
Like, our... Well, I don't think she ever says, okay, you're right. I think no. she says, "You're." it's easier to, to tell that story. Yeah. You're right. And that's the thing. But she she's able to say, okay, like, that's... That's the reality I'm going to live in. Like, we we make choices about what our memories are. Definitely, yes. I have, have, a, have two points that I want to make about that incident, which I think is what the whole movie really r- orbits around, is that and then the fallout from it. Um, where to begin? Hang on. Okay. So... Immediately after hearing Cicely's story, Eve says, I'll kill him. Like, there is no questioning mm-hmm. her sister. There is no, are you sure? She's just immediately yeah. Good on girl. board. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and I think that she does believe in that moment that she can have control over it. Because she does kind of take the initiative to go handle it. And then, to again, back on the, the idea of agency, Moselle tries to find out what's up, right? Because she sees Cicely, like, tell her to keep the secret when she's leaving in the back seat. And Moselle tries to, you know, do the palm thing where she can see. And she's like, fine, don't keep secrets then. And then she, you know, I think it's right before that, actually, when she has the monologue about if there's no point to everything, it's sad. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to believe that. Yeah. And then Eve says something and she's like, oh, you're there still. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> when Dwight turns over his shoulder and yells because he sees Angela. Ah! Stop it. <laughs> it just surprises him. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, there's something to this movie and the idea of fate and your free will and like how how one how they're kind of inextricable like they yeah well you know we we live in fear like the thing that scares us is the fear that we don't have as much power as we think we do when the thing that's actually fucking mm. up our lives is that we have way more power than we think we do yeah 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 like moselle's curse or yeah. Like, you are responsible for that. I get why somebody would think that you are a curse. I don't think that you are cursed. I think you make bad decisions and don't own up to them. Which is the same reason why I I didn't believe that... um, I forgot his name again. Lenny? Uh, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Moreau? Yeah, Mr. that's Moreau. why I didn't yeah. believe Professor that Mr. Moreau, Moreau died because of, like, the witchcraft. I believe it was because of the information that was given to him. Oh, and you mean Lewis? Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry. I, mis- I misunderstood Moreau you. Moreau kills Lewis. Do we want to talk briefly about Julian Grey Raven? <laughs> Please do. Bring it on. <sighs> he just shows up, and he's like, I'm going to fix all the things that are broken in your house and also maybe marry you later. I can fix that. Oh, he can fix it. He did say. And I loved, and I, I don't think this was intended. I think it's like that classic time in your literature class was like, oh, and they had blue curtains. What did they mean? And it's like <laughs> I think he just wanted the curtains to be blue. But I just noticed this little detail when this this really beautiful moment with um Julian Gray Raven. There's this song going. Um, Sunday kind of love. That's some Etta James. 
the yes. first thing that came to my mind was when uh, Lewis's family is all sitting around the table and things are getting a little contentious and he's like, I have patience to see. And his wife says, it's Sunday. And he goes, okay, oh. well, diseases don't stop by a calendar week. Mm-hmm. But we all know what she meant when she said it's Sunday. Yeah, yeah. like that, yeah. That song is fantastic. And, it, and it's really sweet for that moment. First of all, it's, it's a beautiful song. If y'all haven't listened to yeah. it, we can we can uh, pop a little link in there. But yeah, Etta James, Sunday kind of love. And it's so perfect for Moselle because the whole song is about mm-hmm. how you're looking for someone who's actually going to stick around after the honeymoon. Yeah. Someone who, who wants to be with you when it's not just a lazy, like, lay around mm-hmm. in bed and enjoy, like, just bask in each other's glow day. Which is so sweet, because that's what Julian is. Also, worth noting, Julian Grey Raven, which, what the, what a fucking name. Outstanding. is played by Vondi Curtis Hall, who is married to Casey Lemons. Can you imagine being married to that beautiful man and then being like, you know what? I need a beautiful man to be the perfect partner (laughs) with incredible hair and a perfect aura. You know who would be great at that? My husband. Yes. Oh, God. Just. Wow. Wow. Just wow, Amazing. you know, outstanding. Well done, everybody. So proud of everybody. <laughs> that it, that said, though, we just did Ganja and Hess, and now we're talking about Use Bayou. Two of the very strong pieces of evidence to support it. Not that, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but I'm just saying, number one, okay, and actually most of it revolves around the scene when... They get, like, freed from their house, basically. Like, another kid dies, right? And, and they're, they're all celebrating, like, and their grandmother is outside. like, stop. You're going to hell. Stop it. Yeah. Um, so, Eve runs upstairs, and she's like, get up! We're free! We're free! <laughs> and she pushes her off the bed, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, at this point in the movie is when my mom goes... Oh, look at those crispy old-timey sheets. Those those are the good ones. Just in the middle of this very dramatic scene, these are the types of observations my mom likes to make. So, mm-hmm. which is delightful now, but really annoyed me like to the point where I farted in her Tupperware <laughs> when I was a kid. She would be I'd be like really into a, a show and she would be like, "Oh, I love that kitchen." And I would be like, "Shut Shut up, shut up. And now I have become her. I have watched TV and movies with your mother, and this is all accurate. I've also watched TV and movies with you. This is all accurate. I know. We become our parents. In conclusion, okay, so Eve gets knocked off the bed, and then she's like, oh, so you just because you got blood in your pants, you don't think you have to act civilized no more? Bitch, no, I do not. That's correct. I was telling Rachel before we started recording, I was like, just give it a couple years, Eve, you'll understand. That's Eve, exactly Eve, correct. Eve, you don't act civilized now. I know, it's true. However, okay, so they fight, they run out into the yard, and then it is just the way that Grey Raven just lifts 
Sicily off of her sister is just so chaste and it's just Who so is- like not sketchy at all. Who is? And it just really puts that in perspective with how creepy their dad is. Mm-hmm. How have we not addressed the fact that Sicily is Megan Good? Megan Good. Who is horror, with two L's. Who is horror royalty, and we've never discussed a movie starring Megan Good, who is in. I think we should do that. All tons of horror movies, and who loves horror. She is a horror aficionado herself. She's awesome. Hey, Megan Good, come on this podcast. Come be our best friend. Teach us stuff about our lives and how to live them and be better like you. Yes. Thank you. And then, please and thank you. Mary Kay, to your point, another piece of, I felt to be, not damning evidence, but evidence that made me think, mm, that don't add up. So when he, when Lewis said in his, in his letter that he felt like he lost the opportunity to have a conversation with his daughter about what had happened and the confusion and, you know, mm. talk, talk about it. Instead, he played on this, like, oh, it was only in that moment. Because after that moment when she ran off, I knew I had lost her. But then there's this, like, cockeyed scheme about sending her away. Yeah. And he's saying, oh, a psychologist thinks this is a good idea. Mm. No, in fact... And she wants to go. Yeah. This is actually maybe your opportunity to have, like... A conversation and talk about this and maybe try and heal even though that's extremely weird and uncomfortable but instead you're sending her away also like no maybe that moment would have been most opportune right like maybe that was the ideal moment and if you hadn't like been so startled that you knocked her to the ground you know it wouldn't have created that kind of it, it, you know, it maybe would have been better. Maybe you could have been like, whoa, 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 sit here. Let's let's have a conversation. And maybe that would have been ideal. Mm-hmm. You don't get to just check out because it didn't go ideally, motherfucker. Yes. You are a dad. It's right. never going to go ideally. If it didn't go ideally, you don't just get to be like, well, guess my daughter is going to want to have sex with me for the rest of her life. That's not a thing. No. Mm-hmm. You... You are her dad. How do you not think, okay, well, this was a missed opportunity, so I have to find the absolute very next one. Like, this can't go on a minute longer than it has to. I can't let her suffer a minute. Like, if that's really what had happened, no, like, this isn't isn't about you at this point at all. If you're actually the one who's behaving healthfully in this scenario, then it isn't about you at all. Mm Mm-hmm. So get the fuck over yes. yourself and You're be a parent. You're all making great points, and I want to do one more. Rachel, I did not think about him having orchestrated her leaving, but that is, like, mm-hmm. the best evidence. Mine was, like, more subtle, which makes me feel kind of like I was really looking for it and not seeing the obvious. So he comes into her room when she's in there with her mom and Eve, and he's, like, he's trying to, like, examine her she's she's with moselle i think at that point oh yeah Mm -hmm. okay yeah Yeah. i i just yeah you're right they're just kind of laying there together and i was like she's like no i don't want you to look at me and he said well i'll take you to a lady doctor and i was like for what what 
For what? She just started her period. That is normal. Like, she doesn't need to go to the doctor for it. Most people start their periods without actually trying to strangle their sisters to death, to, to be fair. Do they? Because not from what I know of having periods. Okay, well, I mean, I had a sister at the time, and she is perfectly okay. alive and re- retained that alive status throughout okay. my menstrual history. All right, I just thought it was weird that he was like, first of all, that he wanted to be his daughter's gynecologist. That's weird. Like, that just seems like one you should outsource regardless. Okay, see, I interpreted, and this is on that theme, right? I interpreted that differently. When he said lady doctor, I thought he just meant, like, you know, she's growing up, she's getting more private. Like, she just didn't want to be examined by her dad or a man at all. But she literally wanted to see a doctor who was a woman. That's what I thought he meant. And I think all of these moments are crafted very carefully that way. They are. So that exactly so that like almost any interpretation can make sense. He's a medical man. It might make sense that he went to a psychiatrist or psychologist friend and said, hey, where do I go from here? And they Mm -hmm. said, oh, get her out the house. Give her space. Give her time. Especially this period piece at the time that might have been the advice that made sense or seemed to make sense. Like, any of these things you you could construe differently. And I think the fact that this movie ends with that moment of Eve and, and Cicely looking out over the water, and while they join hands so that Eve can have her, her vision, we never see what it is. Like, mm-hmm. Eve does get to see the truth. Eve does get to see the events from Cicely's perspective. But we never know. We never know what that was as an audience. Mm-hmm. But that final note tells me that whatever the information was, it it didn't pull Eve away from Cicely. Like, we, we end this story mm-hmm. with them facing forward, together, hands linked, you know? And that's... Right. And that's such a powerful image. But I do, like, man, as I was watching, I was like, I can't... I want to pick this apart. I want one of these moments to be like, no, it's damning in one way or the other, and I couldn't... Mm-hmm. I couldn't make it happen. I feel like that might be why I had a hard time outlining mm-hmm. because normally there's a sticking point for me where I'm like that that thing is the thing that I want to talk about extensively and there was just so it was this one was really well done I didn't have a ton that I needed to add to it you know no yeah and I I, I agree that that kind of that it's such conscientious ambiguity like that is the point of this story is that, you know, that we have agency in moments that we don't think we do. We lack agency mm-hmm. in moments that we think we've got it. We we are controlled by our memories and our interpretations, and yet they're one of the most unreliable yeah. things about us as humans. It's just... Should it, we... Whew, it's, it's, I'm sorry. No, it's just like, it's like a tightrope act, you know, to do that well, to have a movie where not one of these moments can we say, like, no, it definitely went this way or that, and it works. Like, it lands with us saying, you know... I'm, we believe this thing. Uh, we can still admit that, you know, the evidence doesn't actually uh, all fall down necessarily the way we expected. I wanted to make a quick thing. I, I thought about, because um, I feel like if I just don't bring it up, it's going to be weird because I've been thinking about it so much. I'm sure I can't be the only one or one of the only listeners. I thought a lot about atonement, which came after this by several years. This came out in 97. Um, and Atonement, in the novel, was published in 2001. Do not spoil it. I have not read it. 
Um, thematic. Okay. Well, first of all, it's, it's been out for 20 years now. So like, go get you a copy on every newsstand in paperback. Um, also, the movie is a is a faithful and solid adaptation. Though knowing the two of you, I would say book, 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 book. <laughs> I think you will just have a, a particular appreciation for the book experience that that not everyone necessarily. I've read would. other things by that author. Yeah, McEwen is yeah, he's yeah, doing his thing. But um, but I couldn't help thinking as I was watching this, like this came first. And so much of this, these themes, these themes about about agency and interpretation and memory, are so critical in that that story as well. And it's also a story. Again, this is no spoilers, guys. I'm being careful, but that's also a story that is told primarily from the perspective of a young girl. In fact, I believe Bryony might actually be ten years old. She, she's about ten. Please don't quote me, guys. I know I can just check this. The book is on my shelf. Just give me a break. So I would be super curious to know. Now, I need to do homework. Did Ian McEwan watch this movie and was like, I can do that with white people in England? Like, what? <laughs> I just I just need to know because distinct kind of parallels in, in the themes and in the way they're executed. So just throwing that out there listeners if you would like to unpack that with me since these two haven't read it just you know i'm on twitter i'm on instagram the show instagram the show twitter just let me know and we can we can have a whole thing about it so i want to know since this movie was sort of horror adjacent what to you is the scariest part of this movie i mean other than the obvious what's obvious to you well, I mean, I mean, being Sicily in that moment. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, like, other than that moment, because I think that goes without saying. Yeah. I would say Eve's Midnight Ride, where she goes to, um, she confronts the witch doctor, mm-hmm. and then she's like, it's already done. And so she runs down there to the bar to try and get her daddy to get home, because oh, she, yeah. she thinks it's all happening, and in actuality, it is, which only reinforces her belief even more. Mm-hmm. Like that stress when she's running down the tracks and then she sees yeah. the man that she had envisioned. <sighs> to be her in that moment, that's scary to me. That is scary. That's stressful. That's real high stress. Yeah. Oh, that makes my stomach hurt thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, if we're setting aside the uh, the the molestation as like very obviously the like absolute scariest, worst, nope, um... Um, I think for me, it was the the experience of Eve reading Lewis's letter after he's passed mm. and mm. wondering if she just ruined not only her, like forget her life, the lives of everyone she loved over mm-hmm. a lie. That fear that like in her in her passion, her intensity and her and her love for her sister, she had actually created a problem that didn't exist um or rather there was a problem that existed she created a different problem that wreaked a lot more havoc you get what you mean yeah yeah Yeah. so that to me like i was an imaginative kid and i was a very like i just told you guys a story about how i manipulated a girl scout troop into going to an animal (laughs) shelter and never helped them with it so like i 
I could definitely identify in that moment with the fear that like, what if I've, yeah, again, like agency, like, oh, I didn't know I had that kind of power until I had already done it. And what if the thing I've done can't be, can't be fixed, can't be reversed and shouldn't have happened. That was scary for me. Mary Kay. I had a, I had a different situation, but a similar reason for it being scary in this is during one of Moselle's conversations with Eve, or like monologues with Eve. She she said, uh, "I did. Lo- I realized that I loved Maynard, but I, I didn't. I didn't know it until I met Hosea." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. Not ever, but like." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah, to have gotten... That was a scary part. I mean, y'all's two and the obvious one were very much more scary, but that one just kind of lingered. Yeah, but I think also it's a little scary in the way that from a a child's perspective that this is someone that you trust and this is someone Mm -hmm. who's in kind of a tragic role that it's like, oh, you know, her, you know, every man she's married has died and then she goes and tells her, well, actually, there's these other men involved, Hosea, because I have the same affliction as your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also the the idea of what carries in families, right? Mm-hmm. That in, the, in that moment when she's saying, well, like your father and I are alike this way. Because she doesn't tell Eve, like, oh, that's not happening. She says, if right. you tell anyone, I'll kill you. Which also, like... If you get careless with your mama's feelings again, I'll do you harm. That that part, I was like, I'm actually kind of here for that. That's a that's a fair way of, <laughs> yeah. of approaching that topic. But if you tell anyone I that your father... I still would in the Tupperware again. It, I would do it look, again. That's not careless with her feelings. That's childish behavior. Mm, careless, okay. careless with her feelings is like, I'm going to throw your husband's infidelity in your face in front of the entire rest of the family. Because I'm annoyed that I can't go play hopscotch and have to read a book. Like, that's not great. But the whole, like, if you tell anyone that your father is is definitely doing a thing that everyone knows is wrong, I'll kill you. I was like, that's what abusers say. But uh, Children's don't keep secrets for adults. They should not be doing that. Um, or they shouldn't have to admittedly like if the secret is like you know we're homeless and I don't want my family to get broken up like I you know kids first of all I don't know how you're listening to this don't like we're not a good use of your time I don't know what's happening anymore like Rachel pointed out like the cyclical nature of some of these these story events in the outline and I thought about that a lot that you know in part by telling Eve about how the Hosea incident happened. Mo essentially like plants the seed for similar events to happen with Lewis. Also they're happening because she shares his, again, affliction, right, for infidelity. The thing is we already know Eve shares Moselle's affliction and that she also has this extra sight, the clairvoyance, right? So like what what else might these these three siblings carry into the next generation? It definitely haunted me a lot. 
this definitely had the potential of one of those old like Victorian novels where like Charlotte Bronte where it starts like in Wuthering Hearts it starts like with this generation and then it leads into the next one because mm-hmm. I was definitely like I loved this movie I was all in and I didn't want it to end. I wanted to kind of be like a Victorian novel that you kind of see what happens to them like later on in life. I think that's like another iteration of this movie that is fantastic. Like if there were ever a reimagining of Eve's Bayou, which like I'm not asking for, to be clear, if there were, I think that's kind of the cool thing to do is to make it this like multi-generational epic mm-hmm. in which maybe we don't ever get answers. Maybe we never find out. Whether Lewis was lying or Cicely was lying or if neither of them were lying as far as they knew, like, you know, but just seeing the impact that has on the family and then the, oh, yeah, I'd be here for it. I would watch like a Game of Thrones style, (laughs) multi-generational saga of the Batiste family. Absolutely. Let's go write for HBO. Hey, um, Journey. I know you're busy with Lovecraft Country. Also, um, that's one of my favorite shows on television right now. So, I, good job. Also, um, you were the cutest human child. And now For you are sure. an incredibly beautiful woman. But, uh, got you. Like, if you want to do that, I will write it. We can <laughs> hang out. Mary, what's happening next? Up next, we are finally doing, I say finally in that it's come up a lot over the years. We're finally doing The Others, starring Nicole Kidman. And we will be joined by a familiar voice, Mr. Andrew Farmer, that you might remember from our delightful episode about, um, oh God, what the fuck movie was this? With Michelle Pfeiffer. Eyes Beneath. Thank you. I was like, Michelle Pfeiffer, Harrison Ford. Nancy Byers Horror. I, I remember everything. Thank you. What lies beneath? He is the best. And in the meantime, if you're curious about him, if you don't remember that episode, if you just want to hang out with him some more before we listen next, he and uh, our friend Anna Dresden, who was on Single White Female with us, have a fantastic podcast called Scary Stories to Tell on the Pod. We recommend every single episode. They are two of the funniest mm-hmm. humans who've ever existed. Andrew is a writer and an actor. His Twitter account is the best thing we've ever seen. Probably we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and Anna is a head writer at SNL. So, you know, she knows what she knows what's up. She knows what she's doing. Uh, I think one of the hardest I've ever laughed, one of the times I've laughed the hardest in public, excuse me, was when I was trying to do pull quotes for the single white female episode and she and Mary Kay were like off on the let's go shopping tangent <laughs> on our tv show we made up i couldn't i couldn't handle myself so uh we look forward to having you guys back for the others with andrew and uh in the meantime like we said earlier rate review subscribe um tell friends buy mary Kay's book check out our merch um because it's super cute like i'm a real big fan of this logo we have now i'm wearing my hoodie right now oh my god you are Wait, I can't see the logo the way you're sitting. Show it's me. In the back. Okay, turn around. Turn around, you I dumb can't. bitch. Well, my headphones on. Oh, okay, that's fair. Okay, I'll look at it later. Anyway, okay. uh, it's been Love grand. You, Love you. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>
Mia. Hey, it's Allie. And we host the Rom-Com Review Podcast, P.S. I Love Rom-Coms. Each week, we'll have incredible guests come and discuss a new rom-com, grand gestures, meet-cutes, and of course, that elusive chemistry. Mia, what are you doing holding that giant boombox over your head? I'm hoping to win over listeners with this grand gesture. Take us back! Find a new episode every week and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Campfire Media. Wow, you're uh, still holding that boombox. Yeah, I've got great upper body strength. Thanks, CrossFit. P.S. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. Campfire.